Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk with a kick-ass marketing leader who's always been kicking up the dust on the status quo. Today's guest has a doctorate in consumer adoption of new technology. She has an extensive background in tech that brings a totally new perspective to marketing. She's a badass woman in tech. And we're talking to her today because she's not only not conventional, but prefers to take the road less less traveled. And she brings people and technology together to help create engaging customer experiences. Coming to us live today from San Jose, California, please welcome our disruptor, Chief Marketing Officer at Cloud Giant 5.9, Jennifer Murphy. Hey, hi KJ. So pleased to be here. That was an awesome intro. I, I that needs to be like on my bio or something. No, <laughs> let's send it to you, right? Exactly. You I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, there's key points, right? Doctorate and consumer adoption of new technology. Like, what the heck is that? I want to hear all about that, right? Um, and yes, you have not take taken the load the road. Well, you've taken the road less traveled, right? That's right. But let's say that five times and see how we can do that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure we would be able to. But you are an innovator and a disruptor, even in your own career and your own, like in everything you have done. So what is your main ingredient for disruption? Yeah. Oh God. To nail it down to one is, uh, is, is hard, but I would say if it had to come to anything, it's differentiation differentiation because you know someone once said to me it's better to be different than be better we can always be better but it is better to be different than just being better and I think you can apply that in so many different ways you can think about that you talk about my road to marketing my road to marketing was different it didn't come up through a traditional marketing path it came up through a product management and a technology path and I think that has helped me be a better marketer my you know my road to now living in the U.S. was different Um, And I think that has helped me be more culturally aware and, you know, value things like cultural diversity and team diversity. So I would say if I had to pick one and there are always many because I love focus, I love passion. But I would say if I had to pick one differentiation. Yeah, that's the first time I've really heard that. But when I look at all the disruptors I've ever worked with and all I've ever interviewed, they are different. Yeah. Every single one of them have a, have a differentiation, right? And in this age, I mean, look, let's face it. You're working with technology, right? And consumer adoption of technology. Mm-hmm. And that has everything to do with marketing, whether yes. we like it or not, right? So that even in itself is different in our whole economic landscape of what's been happening over the past 10 years, even after COVID, right? Mm -hmm. 20 years. 
for sure, for sure. And I think, you know, it's interesting because it is all about, like you said, we don't want to admit that it's about marketing, but it is. And I think now is the time for marketers who have been doing some of these things for years to come into the forefront, right? Because a lot of things that drive great marketers, data-driven marketing, understanding the customer, focusing on the customer journey, all of these things are coming to the forefront and there is a much greater degree of emphasis and importance on them in the customer experience than ever before. Technology is awesome. We need great tech, but if you don't have the experience as well and you don't make people feel something, hopefully a good something, then you know your ability to differentiate is limited. Yeah, so that's very true. So let's talk about this because marketers always want to do those things, right? Mm -hmm. But what's been the status quo? I mean, you said it's more important than ever, but let's paint the picture of what's been the status quo for marketers in this area. Yeah, I think the status quo, and I don't know if it's the status quo that marketers would say is their status quo, but it is maybe what is inflicted upon marketers, Mm. right? So there's this perception that marketing is, you know, well, product will do everything and sales will do everything and marketing sort of this, this extra piece that maybe comes after, comes later. It's that marketing are just the creative guys or just the brand people. Um, And so I don't think it's the status quo that marketing puts on itself. Uh, I think it's the status quo that the rest of, um, you know, organizations and the business and the market puts on marketing. And so for me, I think to challenge that status quo, it's that marketing plays an exceptionally important role in the business. I mean, if you, again, go back to all of these things, customer journey, customer success, how do you get customers to create great perception, great awareness, great preference? It's the full life cycle. And marketers have been doing that for years and been doing it incredibly well. I mean, marketing has always been a data-driven type approach and now all of these other types you know all of these other teams customer success teams are sort of taking it on but marketers have always looked at what's my ROI which platforms are giving me the best value should I do digital ads should I do SEM or should I do account-based marketing and direct right do I invest in field marketing events that are owned events for the company or do I invest in industry events so I think all of these things marketing has been doing for a long time and I think it's now coming to the forefront and it is the step challenging the status quo of how people perceive marketing. That's an interesting point because um, yeah, marketing is even in my company, it's very, very data driven. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can predict to the dollar, the income that will come in based off of the marketing dollars and where they are spent. And if I ratchet one thing up, what that's going to do. Um, and if things fall, I can, you know, predict I'm going to have a lag in income in four weeks. If things yep. get ratcheted up, I'm going to have a, a boost in income. I mean, it's really, it's a just like sales thing. forecasting, right? Yes. It's the same as sales forecasting. You know what your upside is, you know, what your, you know, you know, what your commit is. Um, right. And then you can, you know, where, if you make trade-offs, what the impact is going to be, but people don't always perceive marketing in that way. And don't always perceive marketers as being able to bring that contribution back to the business. 
So what's been contributing? So it's really not the status quo of the marketers. It's the status quo of the perception of marketing. Yes. You know, in other parts of the business or the C-suite. So what has been that status quo? They've been relegated to what? I think they've been um, often, you know, relegated to, well, you're just the brand people. You're just the PowerPoint people. You're just the people that take something and turn it into pretty graphics. And hey, I've ran brand teams, UX teams, UI teams. I think brand creative, um, turning a data set into something visual that people can interpret is incredibly important. Uh, And it's an area that I'm very proud uh, to have as part of my team as a CMO. Um, But I I think there's more, right? There's there's more to what marketing can bring to the table. Um, Understanding of market dynamics, Right. What's happening in the market? Where are there white space um, that either we can go after as a company from a sales perspective or even from a strategic perspective? So contributing and partnering with, for example, strategy and corporate development teams to understand what is the white space in the market? What are customers saying? How do people perceive us? And is that perception translating into reality? It's interesting that you say that. Um... You know, because a lot of the listeners of this Mm -hmm. podcast are a lot of tech companies, uh, disruptors, those that are, you know, on their seed fundings and their particular rounds to, Mm -hmm. uh, of their, of raising funds to go public and perception is number one priority for them in the marketplace. Um, and there's been a lot of interest on marketing, PR, how do I control public opinion? How do I see where my opportunities are as far as perception in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. Um, value of the stock market, value of companies has boosted up to 33% of, an, of one's company's value being in perception and goodwill, right? And then we have technology. So so the perception is changing. What is mm-hmm. the, what's disrupting that perception of marketing? Because I'm seeing it. I think, um, I think there's a few things. One, I definitely think the demographic, right? So I think if you look at the demographics of who consumers are today, there are a lot of um, younger consumers who have a greater disposable income uh, and they put more weight and more emphasis on things um you know, that are just outside of the technology. So they want to know that the brands that they're engaging with um, do the right thing, have an opinion on diversity and equity and inclusion, uh, do things within their community, have a set of values that they hold themselves accountable to. And it's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about the revenue. It's about their contribution. So I think one thing is definitely the demographics of the buying population, whether that is in a B2C world or even in a B2B world. In a B2B world, it manifests itself in Who are the new leaders within the organization who are purchasing software? Um, You know, those leaders are starting to be a younger demographic, moving through into more senior roles, into buying decisions. And even if they're not quite the, the buyer right now, they definitely have a strong influence. Right. So, you know, and they're they the ones were, that typically do a lot of the research for the buyers today. Exactly. And they're providing the recommendations and they're looking at different factors. And so, um, you know, I think 
I've always been a big believer in brand intimacy and brand intimacy, you know, definitely looks at the factors around the technology, about the experience. So I think one of them is the demographics of who are the buyers, who are the consumers. Um, I think another piece is just you look at the sort of market landscape that we're in right now whether that's sort of political or economical or just society in general um i think is is taking a, a step back and saying there must be more there must be more than just profit there must be more than just these big giant companies um so i think i think those are just two of two of the factors that are impacting it well i think that's huge and i want to get to the second one in just a second because you said mm-hmm. something that was i think that happens every time you have a cataclysmic event or something people start to question there's got to yes. be more to this right but it goes back to the buying demographic which is also the consumer demographic that has mm-hmm. changed in the sense of they want to buy from someone that gives more value to life, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, whether it's diversity and inclusion, whether it's environmental, whether it's helping your community, this is a huge change and shift into just profits, 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 as it was in the buying consumers before, right? It is. And, and like you said, Right. I mean, it manifests itself in many different ways that I think especially a lot of startups and new companies have to be aware of things like board diversity. So if you're thinking of setting up your new board, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of states right now in the US and it happens to be in the UK as well, where, you know, board diversity is a mandate. It's not a nice to have. Right. You have to have board diversity and it's being incentivized and and some of the large financial players out there you know Goldman Sachs have made statements about where they will invest based on things like board diversity um when you go into some of these large enterprises and do requests uh, you know RFPs right requests for proposals you're being asked about what's your employee, uh, your ERG, right? And your uh, CSR, your corporate social responsibility. Do you have a point of view? And these are things which um, I think smaller companies might think, well, I don't need to care about those until I'm a bigger company. That's not me yet. But I think now more and more, they are filtering down. Um, And so I think for companies who are just sort of getting in the game, getting ahead of some of those things, I think could actually help be a differentiator. Yeah, I agree. Do you have do you have any uh, stories of any companies that that have done that that have really differentiated them? So I think actually there's a great report out there. Um, it's by a, a group called M- uh, MBLM. So go to MBLM.com. They provide, uh, they do an annual report. It's called the Brand Intimacy Report. And basically what it does is it studies um, companies all over the world and it looks at um who are the most intimate brands. And it looks at intimacy based on a number of different factors, everything from you know, employee social responsibility um, through to, uh, you know, uh, diversity and inclusion and all the different essentially emotional connections uh, that we create between people and brands. And so you'll see some of the heavy hitters on there. You'll see Apple and Amazon and Disney and Target. Um, But then you'll also see sort of uh, some of the the smaller companies or, or even companies that you might not necessarily associate right so um, that you can learn from so uh, for example 
Um, you know, USAA, I think, is a great one, right? Oh, USAA. I agree. Their customer service is second to none. Uh, their members absolutely love them. Rave, I think there is rave about them. So much to be learned from there. Um, but then there's, um, you know, there's there's brands on there like Instacart, right? Instacart, great job um, in what they do and how they how they look at brand intimacy and how they sort of put a priority on it as well. So I, I think that's a great way to go and look at it. And you can actually go in. Uh, on mlb.com uh, and you can look at age so you can look at the demographic you can look at income you can look at gender as well and you can look at what are the differences uh, between some of these uh, companies based on those different demographics as well oh that's interesting and yeah. this is all rating them on brand intimacy this is all rating them on on uh, on brand intimacy uh, and you know essentially what uh, what is it that actually that that matters and some of those softer things right so they'll look at demographics they'll look at ROI um, but they'll look at the broader ecosystem and and these companies when you talk about brand intimacy you're talking about what they're doing to really differentiate themselves to make the customer experience incredible right that's right that's right so what are marketers doing these days to improve their own brand intimacy? And like, how are they disrupting and how do they need to disrupt to get unrelegated from this status quo into the driver's seat of really being able to drive companies? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing, you know, in terms of sort of personal, are you talking from a personal brand perspective as marketers? Yeah, yeah. So I think from a personal brand perspective, honestly, um, it's just, no, I would say, I'll say another S, but, but it's it's know your stuff, right? Yeah. Know your stuff, have your data, understand the customer journey. It's go back to the fundamentals, right? The fundamentals of who is your ideal customer profile. Looking at, um, I have a framework uh, I sort of mentally apply in, in things that I do as a marketer, it's called the FIRE framework, and it's focus, intent, ROI, and experience. So who are you focused on? Who's your ideal customer profile? What's your intent, uh, your intent as a marketer? What are you trying to achieve? And what is your customer's intent, their intent to buy? Um, so trying to look ahead of the game. Don't look at, you know, here are customers who are already buying or already interested. Start to look at some of the factors that maybe come before they're even in the purchasing cycle. ROI, make sure that you can contribute to the business value. And ROI isn't just about money, right? How do you contribute um, back to the bottom line, for sure, of the business? But how do you contribute to the employee experience? How do you contribute to employee engagement? How do you contribute to changing that outward perception of your company and then the last part is the experience it, everything uh, I think everything you have to do just like you apply it in your external marketing apply it in your internal marketing what feeling are you trying to evoke with your audience why do you think this is all really very important because a mm -hmm. lot of times when it comes down to number crunching and you have your CFOs or your CEOs <laughs> they just <laughs> she laughs they just, they focus on the bottom line and they're missing all these other points that really affect yeah. the bottom line. Right. So when you talk about ROI, not doing that, what have you done as a marketer to really disrupt and get your senior leadership to really look at this whole 
fire formula that you've done? Well, I think the first thing is you have to build trust, right? You have to build trust. And hey, right now I have an awesome CEO and an awesome CFO who really get it. They get the value of marketing. But I think um, I think you as a marketer, you you have to build trust and you also have to be willing to walk walk away. Right. I've walked away from departments or companies um, where I just knew they didn't get it. Right. And that that may not sound disruptive, but sometimes, you know, sometimes being willing to say no and being willing to walk away is actually disruptive because it it helps you to change their mindset because it makes them realize, well, hang on, why is this person walking away from my department or my function or my company? Uh, And then it also sets you up for success. So I think, first of all, you've got to find um, a company that believes in marketing. Second, you've got to take the time to build trust. And sometimes that means, you know, we we have a bit of a, a running joke, actually, with some of my colleagues that I work with in other departments right now. They're like, hey, Jennifer, we need to create some marketing fluff. And uh, and they say it they say it in a in a, a loving way, um, right? But at the same time, you know that that is the perception that sometimes people have, right? That that it's marketing fluff, that it's yeah. not it's not real, and you have to be willing to sort of take some of that and be like, ha ha, yes, I get it, um, and build up your trust. But then you take a point in time when you're like, no, this is what we need to do in order to move things forward. Just like, you know, the head of product has their subject matter expertise, just like the head of sales has their subject matter expertise, marketers have to own their expertise and their function. And we are a services organization, right? We are we, we are in service in marketing to many of these other teams and stakeholders, to our customers, to sales, to product. But at some point, I think you have to say, no, this is what we're doing. This is the direction we're going in because this is what is the modern way of doing marketing. Because everyone and thinks they're a marketer. <laughs> everyone, it's true. And and how do you build that trust when you when you really put your foot down and you say, this yeah. is where we need to go? How do you back that up, right? How well, do you... It goes back to the data. I think it goes back to the data and having to to build a dashboard to show here is the ROI, here's the investment that you as a company, right, you as my CEO or my CFO, my head of sales, et cetera, that you have have trusted and invested in me and here's what I'm giving back to you. And that ROI can be a money-based ROI and improving things to go from, you know, a a two-to-one to to a five-to-one ratio uh, or even higher or it could be um, in things like MPS, Net Promoter Score, right? It could be in um, how you change share of voice in the market. It doesn't always have to be just pure dollar-based. And the definition of success, I think, can be different. But you have to take the time to educate and to inform. And you have to be prepared to take the shit from people when they will question you and they'll brush it off as as not a success and not real ROI. You have to just keep on, you know, singing that song and showing the value that you can deliver in multiple different ways. Yep. 
You definitely have to connect the dots. To- yeah, you, you got to have thick skin. I will guys. say, yeah, yeah you got to have thick skin um, because, yeah, everyone thinks they're a marketer. People often think marketing is fluffy. Um, and then I think when you do that, and like I said, I'm very fortunate, you know, uh, at the moment to work with some excellent leaders, uh, my peers, who just really are super, super supportive. Um, but not everyone has that. And I think you've got to acknowledge that. And that's why you, you've got to be determined and you, you have to let the data, you have to let the data tell the story for you. Right. And you have to collect the data and figure out what your success, how are you going to measure it? Yeah, I, I, a great trick, actually, that that I, I've used in the past, and I'm encouraging my team to now use this more, is write your press release for six months time or a year's time. Right. So in a year's time, for example, um, what do you want your press release for your company, for your team, for yourself to say? Because I think if you read that press release and it's not compelling enough, you will reevaluate how what you focus on and what the key results are that you that you put down as a goal for yourself, for your company or for your team. It's really interesting that you do it that way because press releases is all about molding public opinion and perceptions and you're doing it on perceptions. You know, I think it's really interesting. I want to talk about your doctorate Mm -hmm. because all of this seems to lead back to that, right? You have a doctorate in consumer adoption of new technology. Mm -hmm. I've worked with technology companies my whole career. And I do know that features and benefits and speeds and feeds do not sell technology. It is an emotional buy based on a perception, right? And consumers adopt a technology based off of perception, right? Mm -hmm. How does that, how does that fit into this? When you're working with CEOs that get it, they understand that Mm -hmm. perception changes reality. Right. And when you work with based off of all your experience in your doctorate, how do you use that to disrupt and get your leadership to understand that consumer adoption mindset? Yeah. So I think it comes down to, well, just looking at what are the, the four fundamental factors and the reason why I actually did I chose that topic is because it blended uh, psychological, sociology, psychology, sociology, and computer science and technology with business. Um, And it brought, it it pulled from various different models and uh, learnings from each of those different areas to ultimately come down to what are the four factors which most impact adoption um, within a technology realm. And those four factors are effort expectancy, performance expectancy, facilitating conditions and social influence. Okay. Give me those again. So effort expectancy. Effort expectancy. How easy is the technology to use? How much effort am I going to have to put in? So this translates, right? And a lot of it, I think, is about translation. This translates into things like UI and UX, right? UI, UX, and that's everything from product UI, UX, all the way through to your website UI, UX. So on your website, are you making it hard for people to get information? Are you Mm -hmm. gating all of your assets? Are you making your content consumable? There's a lot of emphasis at the moment around micro learning. You know, do you have snackable 
you know, useful pieces of content that people can actually get, right, with minimal effort, that they consume on their mobile phone, that they consume on their, uh, you know, desktop, laptop, iPad, whatever it might be. The next piece is performance expectancy. So am I, as a consumer, going to get an ROI? Am I going to get more value? Um, you know, I've been in IT for a long time. Automation, I spent a lot of my life in test automation and quality assurance and testing. Uh, going in and speaking to customers about, you know, doing testing, automation is hard because automation takes time. It takes effort. But the ROI of it is tremendous when you actually do it and you do it right. So people need to see that there's going to be some performance value to them. Um, the third one is facilitating conditions. Um, this is all about, uh, you know, in the example that I did, when I, when I did it, online check-in and self-service check-in was new. Uh, um, you know, I'm aging myself a little bit there, uh, but not everything was done via a self-service kiosk. Uh, and at the time, um, the company that I, I was working with, they didn't, um, you couldn't identify yourself with a passport. You had to use your credit card. And that was a negative facilitating condition. And you think, well, why? Everyone's got a credit card. Well, yes, but then it made people think, am I going to have to, am I repurchasing this ticket? Are you charging me to do this self-service check-in? Oh, no, 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 I'll just go to the, I'll just go to the desk and I'll go speak to a, an airline agent. Um, so when they actually changed to using the passport that didn't have that connotation, it was an easier facilitating condition that they could, you know, they actually increased their adoption. And you can see this in a lot of startup companies with um, the product-led growth model, right? How can you enable online and secure credit card purchasing? You know, do you have a trial for your product? Can people just purchase, you know, up to a certain number of licenses themselves without having to call a rep, without having to do a purchase order? So that's an example in, in today's world. And then the last part is social influence. And this is, I'll, I'll say the academic version. People will be more likely to adopt a new technology if they believe that important others are adopters or advocates of that technology. Yeah, and so this, say that again, because yeah. to me, that seems like the icing on the cake, right? Yeah. So we work out the effort, we work out the yeah. performance, we facilitate them better. Okay. But in the end People, of the day, at the end of the day, it comes down to people will be more likely to adopt a technology if they believe that important others are advocates or adopters of that technology. And from a marketer's point of view, it's something we've known for years. Word of mouth matters. So the best advice I have for companies who are looking to disrupt, who are smaller companies, is get on all of those sites out there, the G2 crowds of the world, the online reviews, get as many references in as many different ways that you possibly can and spread that around as many key opinion leaders to endorse you influencers press you net like everything exactly. that you can exactly the night that success you know yes doing traditional pr and press releases and getting in all of the various publications is great but if you look right now at the power of some of these independent analysts and influencers yeah. on social media 
it is huge. And I had an example of this. We ran, um, we've, at my current company, we've set up an influencer program. We ran a summit uh, at the beginning of the year with probably around 100 or so different tech influencers uh, to come and give us feedback and thoughts. And I got a ping from one of our uh, sales leaders who was like, Hey, Jennifer, what are we doing? Because my customer, and it was a really big Fortune 500 brand, my customer just reached out to me and said that they're seeing all this activity on Twitter by, you know, influencer X, and they want to know what's going on. What, what are we doing? What, how can they get involved? And it was purely because this influencer was tweeting and, you know, our customer as a leader in IT was looking at sources like social media for feedback and influence on how and what decision they should make, right? People are not just looking at the traditional analyst firms or the traditional PR. The power of social um, is massive. And especially, I think, in even influencing and helping create thought leadership. I agree with you 100%. You know, it's really very interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of these influencers and Mm -hmm. things that I'm seeing on my end is that we're starting to move away from traditional media and seeing this network media come out where yes. these influencers are now creating their own publications, right? And their own aggregates that are growing, right? For sure. It's they're replacing the media with the new media, right? It's like, it's funny yeah, how it becomes it, full circle. So they start off as an influencer, then they create their own pubs then they create their own sites. My database has been blowing up with- yep these new, I don't even know if publications are the right word for them, but you're exactly right. Yeah. And and it comes down to trust, right? Because the thing is, is I think a lot of the time people have realized that, you know, the more traditional media has become a pay to play world. And, you know, it's like, well, if I want, if I want honest feedback, well, who am I going to go to? You know, you'll go to your peer, you'll go to your colleague, you'll go on LinkedIn and you'll say, hey, who do I know who maybe has implemented this technology before? And you'll go and ask them. And so I think this, I think the wave of new media um, has that ability. And, and it's also, it's hard because there's more traditional media sometimes. Can they be as controversial? Can they be as differentiated? Can they afford to maybe, you know, annoy some people? Not always. So I think the new media actually have got a have uh, got a huge opportunity, and and I think you know again if you are starting your company, if you are you know getting you know your first, second, third rounds of investment, um, a great piece of advice I actually got uh, in working with um, uh, Mark Robege, uh, who used to be over at HubSpot. Um, and is now one of the MDs at Stage 2 Capital, Uh, we had a great um, set of incubator sessions we did. And we talked about the value of content and like hiring a journalist, hire a journalist ASAP. Why? They are going to help create awesome content that has awesome sound bites, that is social ready, and that is going to create headlines. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, marketers could follow this particular formula that, mm-hmm. I mean, they could follow the formula of the effort expectation, the performance expectation, facilitating, right? Yeah. And also the influence, gaining so social influence to sh- like proof in the pudding for their leadership, 
right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great lens through which to look at and say, Hey, I'm all of the things that I'm doing as a marketer. Are they moving the needle on one of these variables? And if they're not, then why am I doing them? What value is it going to bring? And it, it takes it back to that ROI has many different forms. It's not just about dollars. Dollars are very important, but these other factors are important too. Yes, that's so very true. So with all of this proliferation of disruption and new technology and even more technology coming out. Now we've been relegated to being a remote workforce and mm-hmm. maybe events are coming back and maybe they'll stop again. <laughs> we don't know, right? The way that marketing needs to take a front seat, where do you see this going as far as marketing's leadership in organizations and driving technology companies? Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, I, I just see the influence of, of marketing or the potential influence for marketers and marketing to just continue to grow um, because there is there are there are other factors at play. So, for example, there is a huge uh, emphasis, again, especially with SaaS companies on customer success, customer retention. Right. Um, and those are all things that, again, I think marketers have been doing for a long time and have a playbook of how to do. So if they partner with their you know, counterparts in customer support and sales, I think there's a real opportunity for them to be able to drive change and drive some of that, you know, thinking about creating an integrated campaign and an integrated customer journey. Apply that with a customer success lens when you're trying to increase the footprint within a customer or you're trying to, uh, you know, increase uh, the likelihood of your customer sort of staying on your platform, right? That customer journey customer integration, campaign planning methodology can be really, really applicable. Yeah. Do you think that that is going to change the face of marketing in the next few years with all of these SaaS companies blowing up? I do. I I think marketing will be even more data-driven. I think marketing will be much more about customer success and customer retention than it ever has been. Um, I think especially once once a company gets to a certain scale and that scale doesn't have to be huge, um, I think, you know, the the shift will happen between just trying to acquire new customers and trying to retain new customers. Um, And it used to be, oh, well, you know, we're all about acquiring new customers. But as we all know, it is much more costly as a marketer and as a sales team to acquire new customers than it is to retain. And so I think the way in which you think about customer retention and, and what would traditionally be called install-based marketing and using things like account-based marketing, but applying them to a prospecting world will become ever more important. I agree. And so tell me, tell me about five, nine and what you're doing there to really shake things up. Yeah. I, I mean, five, nine is just such a, uh, such a, such an awesome company. And I have to say just very, very exciting, actually two uh, breaking uh, pieces of news that we just got today. And I have to share it because I'm yes. just so, 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 so proud. Um, but we were just actually awarded uh, two fantastic recognitions uh, in the market. Uh, the first um, is that we've been officially certified as a great place to work USA, which is awesome because this is, not something, this is not something you can buy. Right. This is something you have to earn and our employees earned it. Um, And then second, we were also recognized by Battery Ventures as the highest rated cloud computing company to work for. And we were the only 
um, the space that we're in, Cloud Contact Center, uh, as a service provider, whether private or public, on that list. And why am I sharing that? One, well, just because I'm, I'm proud, because um, I think it's amazing. Um, second is it's because it ties back to this theme that experience, employees, people are truly a differentiator. Um, and it's something that you should seize and it's something that you should hold on to, and it's something that you should nurture. Um, and I think three, because again, I'll just go back to pride, right? I'm just so proud. I'm so proud of what Five Nine is doing. Um, you know, we are uh, we help customers essentially reimagine. We call it reimagine their customer experience and realize results. And the two parts of that equation are really important. Why? Because I think you have to have a bit of vision, and you have to have a little bit of a stretch goal, call it a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, call it a long-term plan, call it horizon three thinking, you know, you've got to have that, that reimagine um, customer experience, think differently about it, but then you have to be able to realize the results. And those real results can be improving your customer satisfaction, improving MBS, reducing the time customers are staying on hold or, you know, really truly doing digital transformation. So one of our big campaigns this year has been around the digital workforce. Um, it can be a little bit controversial because people are like, oh, is AI and automation going to get rid of human agents and take over? You know, is this, uh, is this iRobot world? And it's like, no, um, this is about technology being used where it makes sense to increase and improve efficiency. And at the same time, using technology to enhance, you know, in our case, agents and enhance their work life experience. So great example. We have um, at Five Nine two pieces of awesome technology as part of our platform. One is our intelligent virtual agents that literally can um, do, do most things that you would expect to do when you call up a contact center, you know, change your address, check your bank balance, uh, check on the order status, um, you know, some of those depending on what industry you're in. But then we also have great use of AI in a product called Agent Assist, which is all about how do we use AI and automation to help the agents, the real life agents who are taking calls, sort of coach them do real-time coaching with them, make their life easier by doing call transcription and call summarization so that they don't have to. Um, so I think that's that's what we do. We essentially help customers reimagine their customer experience and realize real results. We do that through our intelligent cloud contact center platform uh, and moving customers from on-premise to the cloud. And we do that by embedding AI and automation in everything that we do. And it ties back to the fact that it is much more than technology. It is about the experience and to bring it together. That's why those two recognitions are so important, because as much as our technology is awesome and it is and it is award winning, our people are just as if not even more awesome. And it really, really matters. And it really makes a difference. And that is really awesome. I mean, congratulations. It really says something about the company being end to end with their technology. Yes. It's not just a customer experience, but it sounds like what your technology is doing is making the employee experience so amazing that it 
does also further enhance the customer. It does. And, and those two things are very, very, you know, close together. Um, you know, employee experience and customer experience equals total experience. There are many quotes out there. Ultimately, if your employees um, are not happy and if your employees don't enjoy what they're doing and their, you know, their life is not being bettered by technology, um, then go back to great resignation. People will, people will leave. They'll leave the company. They'll leave the job. They won't, um, they won't bring the ideas forward. They won't, uh, you know, sort of get involved in collaboration and, and better communication across the company. So I think all of those different things are hundred percent connected. Yeah. And that's really great. You guys are spearheading that. Okay. Jennifer, what, who are you? Were you always into like some sort of creating great experiences when you were growing up? Were you like completely shy and introverted and something changed you one day? I mean, what I don't know. I like? think I still am. I still am <laughs> shy and introverted, to be honest with you. Um, it's like probably not the best trait for a CMO. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, you know, hey, take it back to when I was a little kid and I used to play with my best friend. Um, and we used to we used to have our pretend restaurant and make different colored drinks, um, you know, that we would serve in uh, in my mother's china cup. And, and once we actually um, ended up uh, completely turning our patio at home into bright blue and orange because we were making these colored drinks, but we had a, we had a fake restaurant, but it was an awesome experience. We thought about everything. We thought about the color of the drinks. We thought about using China versus plastic. Um, so yeah, I, definitely experience always, always been in there, but I think, no, I've always, I've always loved looking at, at things through the consumer's eyes, the other person's eyes, how are they going to experience it? How, and I think it goes back to, I grew up in an Italian family. Uh, my mother's Italian, my father's British. We're a very emotional bunch. Uh, we're a very vibrant bunch, but, you know, think about it. I think a lot of great memories are about feelings and it's at such a personal level. And so for me, I always think about, well, what is that other person feeling? How are they feeling? What, and what am I saying? Is that making them feel good? Is that making them feel bad? Are they going to walk out of here and remember something? You know, I've worked with a ton of C-level leaders and, you know, when it comes to like keynote time at events, you mentioned events earlier, you know, everyone spends all of this time. Oh, what am I going to say? And you know, here's my 20 slides. And, and it's like, stop, pause. What do you want them to feel? Because that's what they'll remember. They'll remember what they felt. They'll remember the emotion. They'll remember that you made them feel good, bad, excited, or bored. That's true. Amen. And they probably... Won't remember half of what you've said, right? <laughs> but but did you did you make them feel you know happy, sad, excited, or important? Bored? Yes, yeah. 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 Did you did you speak to their problem, right? Or were you just speaking about what you wanted to know, what your company does, right? And, and that's a fundamental of marketing. You know, again, tech is awesome, but what problem are you solving? 
It's true. And <laughs> you know, that isn't that the number one rule in branding? Don't talk about your solution. Talk about the customer's problem. Exactly. I mean, number it, one branding rule. How did you get into technology though? Being such a, an experienced girl, female, I mean, like, and then you went into this like very binary mm-hmm. industry, which is great because now you're bringing like almost like uh, the social sciences into the hard sciences, but how did you get into that? Like, what did you say? Oh, I want to go into this area because it's so different. No, it was completely by chance. Uh, (laughs) Completely by chance. I wish I could say, yes, I had it all planned out and it was awesome. Uh, but no, I didn't. And, and honestly, that's one of the, the great things that I would advise, like, don't underestimate chance. Don't underestimate luck. And, Never write something off. And, and sometimes it's okay not to have a plan because if you have too hardcore a plan, you might miss out on some of the greatest things and the greatest opportunities. I was in consulting. Um, I was doing SAP implementations. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun, fun. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> in, in Big Pharma, but at the same time, I was also doing change management because we were rolling out a new SAP system Um And it was a lot of change management within the companies that I was working with. And that for me, I I sort of realized that I loved this blend of technology to solve problems, but then also dealing with the human factor. So how do I get people to be open to the technology? How do I get people to change their behavior and develop new muscle memory? Because that's hard. That's hard to, and and especially I think as you go through different phases of a company, um, to to get out of that habit of oh well this is what we've always done, and sort of go okay this is what we've always done. It's great to say that, and it's great to have that so that you can say and this is what has worked and this is what hasn't. But then I think you have to t- look at every situation and just say hey, could I do something new? Is there a different lens to apply to this so for me I was a consultant I was doing technology implementations um and you know then I went into hardcore product I was part of our CTO office um did some work on architecture and then I came into into marketing so I didn't have a a well thought out plan um and I wouldn't say that I, I shifted from experience to technology I just figured how can I blend the two together? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. It's worked out for you very, very well. It has. And I, I, I hope so. And, uh, and, and I, I love it, right? I, you, there's, there's... you actually could be considered a leader in STEM just by, by nature of what you've done. True. True. What yeah. you do. Could be, could be. Here, here I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can anoint me. You can anoint me. Okay. So what are your crazy passions outside of work? I mean, I know you have kids. Right. I do. I, yeah, I have two small children, love being outdoors. Uh, I'm very fortunate to live in California, uh, which has some awesome outdoor hiking. Um, and just there's, there's a certain beauty in nature. Uh, and I, you know, I'm a saddo. I apply that to my, uh, to my business life. I would recommend a great book. I recommend people read. It's something called the Medici effect. It's all about differentiation. It's about the clashing of different worlds. And I relate it back to nature because one of the first stories in there was an architecture company who had to build a, um, new building in South Africa without air conditioning 
So they had to think about how they did temperature control and they actually looked to nature and how uh, different animals build their homes like ants, for example. Uh, and ants actually use a system of sort of opening and closing of different holes in their little ant hill uh, in order to regulate the temperature within the home itself. And they took that and they applied it to the building. So created a series of, uh, they put the windows on timers, a series of opening and closing of the windows to control the airflow and the temperature within the building. So Amazing. I'm very passionate about nature, uh, love being outside, love hiking, love learning from nature and applying it to um, you know, to the business world or to other worlds, um, and then food. I'm Italian. I have to love food. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's a yes. given. It's a given. It's uh, yeah. That there is no way you can not love food. So I love cooking. I love food. I am not one of these people who runs and it frees my mind. Uh, I actually it stresses me out more. So I cook and that frees my mind. Because, what's the favorite dish yeah. for you to cook? Or what's like the favorite dish your family loves you to cook? My favorite dish for my family is, is lasagna. Of course. Um, yeah, they love, they love Sunday lasagna. And that was my achievement in life when my mother allowed me to cook the Sunday lasagna. Um, anyone who, you know, uh, you know, sort of has, has Italian heritage or similar heritages will understand that when you are allowed to cook your mother's recipe at a Sunday dinner or a Saturday dinner or a Friday dinner, it's a huge piece. You've arrived. Yes, you have arrived. You have arrived. And then uh, I do make a mean mushroom risotto, which is fantastic. Mm. Takes a long time, but it is beautiful. It is creamy. It is awesome. Okay. That sounds delish. <laughs> How do people get a hold of you? So you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Jennifer Murphy, uh, or you can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, there, there is there is only one Jennifer. Uh, so my, na my name is a little <laughs> bit unique, I, I will say. It is. Um, I do think that I can make that claim that there is only one Jennifer. Uh, it's G-E-N-E-F-A for Apple. Uh, so you can look me up on LinkedIn, Jennifer Murphy, or on Twitter at Jennifer Murphy. Um, and you can, uh, you know, of course, take a look on the Five Nine uh, website as well. And uh, I'm there. I share things, share things personal, share things work-related, um, you know, just things that are generally of interest. And I would love to engage, uh, engage with people for sure. Yeah. Jennifer, thank you. I think people should reach out to you if they have questions about marketing, they have questions about customer experience. I don't think it just has to be a marketer. A lot of our <laughs> listeners are in the C-suite. They should reach out to you. Thank you so much for your insight. Thank you for having me. It has been great. It has been a great conversation. And I just hope that uh, I've applied my own lesson and, uh, and approached the answers through the lens of those who are listening. So I, uh, it's been great to be here. Uh, KJ, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. You bet. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.